Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Yeah, folks, good to be here. Uh, good to be here with you again. Two weeks in a, a row. Uh, Samson Part 2. Uh, you do have actually uh, all that printed that, so that would be useful for you because we actually on the PowerPoint point didn't uh, write in the, the interaction with Samson and Delilah. So it's in the gray writing there, starting from verse 7. Uh, but you know, one thing I've learned from uh, Hebrew narrative, you, you never rush through uh, Hebrew narrative when you're reading it because... Uh, there's no detail in Hebrew uh, narrative, Hebrew scripture, meaning the Old Testament, that is insignificant. The smallest of detail is very significant. And you can easily miss a major point that the uh, author is making sometimes by just uh, rushing over these things. Uh, temptation. I think that would be the theme uh, that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, it was very interesting that the Pope there, I don't know how many months ago it was now, I was just talking to Mafia about it earlier on, that when it came to the Lord's Prayer, and you know when it says, lead us not into temptation, uh, apparently the Pope, they decided to change the verse because it was very misleading, you know, God doesn't lead you into temptation. Now, I'm not sure that's what it was saying. You know, I was trying to just scream out and say, read the next verse. And in the Lord's Prayer, when it says, lead us not into temptation, if that puzzles you, well, the next one says, and deliver us from the evil one. And I think that brings clarity to the, the misunderstanding of, the, of that particular verse, that indeed behind the temptation is the tempter, behind the lie is the liar. Behind us, seducing is the seducer. And uh, we'll look a little bit about that uh, in a short while. But let's continue on the role with Samson, which we uh, really, we have seen really in the last, uh, last week. We took a broad sweep of uh, chapters 13 to 16. We've really seen uh, Samson as being the man who... <laughs> Well, you kind of wonder why is he in the role of faith? Uh, he, he, his birth had a, an amazing announcement, almost messianic-like announcement for his birth. And yet, when you look at his life, you see a guy who's, uh, well, he's impulsive, isn't he? He's, he's, he's immature. He doesn't seem to be sensitive to the Lord. He... All right, he was raised in the, what we call the Nazarite vow. And it uh, wasn't easy for Samson. Uh, his life was set apart for God, we know that. And he had took that vow that we read in the book of Numbers. When you read in Numbers, you get the idea that people just took it for a short time. But it seems like Samson got that from his birth right till his death. Now, he, he doesn't keep it, of course, but... You get the idea that poor Samson must have been a bit of a loner. There was a lot of things that he couldn't do, a lot of places he couldn't go. But uh, it seems like the, the whole story of his life seems to be really getting out of control. 
And it kind of comes to a climax in chapter 16, where we're introduced, uh, when he comes into Gaza, by the way, the first few verses talk about he came into that real stronghold of the Philistines. We need to be aware that Samson had a, a purpose in life. He was given strength by God to deliver God's people from the hand of the Philistines. So that was his purpose. He had a clear purpose in life, Samson. And God equipped him to do that. He equipped him with great strength. And we looked at that last week. Uh, and he was there to deliver. He was a judge. He was a deliverer. And used of God for 20 years, we're told, uh, in the judge's account. Uh, so uh, let's read verses uh, 4 to 6 here as we start really this narrative in chapter 15. It says, Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength, and, now we can over, and, and how we can overpower him, so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. So here's the uh, introduction uh, uh, in, in chapter 16 to this uh, lady called Delilah. Uh, by the way, most of you might be sort of shocked. It's not, it's not a, she's not a, 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 from Philistine. She, she's not, uh, uh, it's a Jewish name, and actually the place where she comes from is a Jewish area. So may, most people make an assumption that she was part of the Philistines. She actually wasn't. And, uh, but one thing we do know, she sold out, didn't she? And uh, probably not the first person to be bought and sold out for money, but this was a tremendous amount of money here uh, that she was given. Enough to set her up for life, no doubt. So the, the, the lure of this money uh, uh, was, came from the Philistines, of course, who were really on the rough side of, of Samuel's strength, and, and they wanted to do anything, and they were prepared to pay anything to really to get rid of Samson. And uh, she went for the lure, she went for the money, and uh, we're told Samson was in love with this woman. He was besotted by her. And uh, so much to the point we'll, we'll see here shortly as we read uh, uh, the account uh, in, in the secret of his strength. But uh, she went to Samson, of course, and asked him uh, for the secret of his strength. And I want you to look at the grey writing there, I was telling you, just to, just to follow this kind of story along, just to, to make sure we don't kind of miss anything in it. And uh, let's start there in verse 7. It's not on the screen, by the way, it's in you. You're going to have to look at that if you want to read it. Uh, Samson answered her, If anyone ties me up with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines bought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes to a flame. 
So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you've made a fool out of me. You lied to me. Come up, come now. Tell me how you can be tied. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then the men hidden in the room, then with the men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as, as, as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric and tightened it with the pin. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom and with the fabric. Then, he, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the toward time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. <laughs> just before we continue there, you just feel like saying to Samson, Samson, do you not get it? Do you not get what this woman is trying to do? It's so obvious. You know, and, well, he just doesn't seem to get it, does he? He's sort of playing around with her, isn't he? And, uh, and, but it's interesting that a woman will usually get her way, by the way. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting when we actually... Uh, see this fourth verse in 16. It says, With such nagging she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Uh, now, isn't that lovely detail there, isn't it? She nagged him to death, basically. And her persistence paid off, and he told her everything. And, of course, he goes back to the secret of his strength, the real secret of his strength. And he was aware of, of the calling on his life. It's very interesting to see that, isn't it? He said, no razor can be used on my head because I, I've been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head is shaved, my strength will leave me. And he, he lets the secret out, doesn't he? And I will become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw this, uh, he had told her everything. She sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more. He has told me everything. Wow, the secret is out. Whatever Samson was thinking, and you know what? Maybe Samson thought it wouldn't really matter if, if my hair was cut. Think about that. Uh, we learned in the previous four chapters that it seemed like every time he broke that vow, remember when he touched the dead carcass, the lion that he had torn apart? Uh, when he went to the banquets, no doubt, he would have, would have took the alcohol at the parties that were there. He, he, I mean, he was breaking his Nazarite vow left, right, and center. And God's strength didn't leave him. You know, he continued. It wasn't as if the writer stops and goes, oh, he's after breaking the Nazarite vow, that's it now, and uh, his strength's gone, no more Samson. God was continuing to use Samson in an incredible way. Despite the fact that he was insensitive to God, 
and, and, and to the Nazarite vow. So maybe Samson thought, okay, it's my hair, but maybe God will continue to use me. There's not going to be any consequence to that. Well, it seems like it was just going more downhill, wasn't it? You know, it's interesting that we can be more committed to the cause of God that we forget that God is not just interested in the cause of what we do in his kingdom. He's also interested in us, in our character development. We should never substitute the cause of God to be a, a substitute for my own walk with God. And the fact that he uses me, despite me. I think there's a little, there's a little lesson of that in there. But the, the story, unfo- the tragedy unfolds, doesn't it? So the rulers of the Philistines return with the silver in their hands. Uh, and having put him to sleep on her lap, she, cut, she called a man to shave off his hair. And so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go as before and shake myself free. And then that's the tragic verse, isn't it? It says, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding in the prison. Wow. I mean, it's, it's an incredible fall, isn't it? I think the writer here, the, the Hebrew, the, the narrative has really given us that detail of how Samson went from, from there right down to the bottom, didn't he? And it's as if he's just given the, the, the shame of all those details of Samson, the great strong man, becoming as weak as anything. And uh, what a tragic story. And indeed, he, he did not know the Lord had left him. Because remember I was telling you, he got so used to being used by God that he thought maybe, well, even if the hair goes, it'll continue on. But it seems like God withdrew. And he came to Gaza. By the way, uh, this happened about 37 miles from Gaza. So when Samson was captured and his eyes were gouged out, they led him, chained that 37-mile trip. And that had been awful. Down to Gaza. That was the stronghold. By the way, Gaza was the place where he went in in the early part of chapter 16 and tore the gates off the wall and, and threw, them, threw them away. So the place where he came in, in, in such great strength in the beginning of chapter 16. Here he's walking back, chained, being led by someone else. And really, the, the, the downward spiral is, is just incredible. And then to make it even worse, it says here, they set him to grinding in the prison. Grinding in the prison. Wow. Uh, you know... It's, I think we need to look at temptation for a minute here. Can we talk? Let's look at temptation. Because I think this speaks to us when we think about uh, temptation. And the very fact that we're well aware of what temptation is like. We must recognize, recognize that temptation is not sin in itself. 
uh, temptation isn't. Uh, but obviously, I have down here the, what you call the lure and the lust. You see, James says each one is tempted when he's carried away by his own lust and desire. Isn't that right? Gives birth to sin and sin gives birth to death. That certainly would have been very applicable here. But, but that is the nature of temptation, isn't it? There's the lust within and there's the lure without. And in a sense, if the lure is out there and the lust isn't there, well, the, lust, you know, the, the lure doesn't attract. And if the lust is inside and yet the lure isn't out there, there's nothing for the lust to go after, is there? So it's in a sense when those two things come together that the danger for us is uh, in temptation, that we're carried away uh, in that. Now, I always like this, to say that temptation is very tailor-made. It's, it's always different for each one of us. I remember when I was speaking on this before, and I often said that Satan doesn't tempt me with celery or broccoli. That's supposed to be funny, by the way, laugh. <laughs> Meaning, you know, I, uh, I usually go around where all the cream buns are and all the other. But the point is, not for something that doesn't attract. That's the point. It wouldn't be temptation if it wasn't attractive. And look at the next point on temptation. Temptation always comes to us in attractive packages, right? In other words, it, it, it always looks good. It always is, is tailor-made to lure you in. And uh, even when you think of Delilah there, it, it, it all looked very attractive. Even for herself in regards to the money. And, and, and you see a whole range of temptations going on there. But we need to be aware in the, in the... We need to be aware of ourselves in regards to what type of things tempt us. We need to be very honest with ourselves. We need to be very honest with each other in regards to what temptation looks like for us. And as I said, it's tailor-made to each one. A temptation for me might, might near would not be a temptation for you. And the, the fact is we need to, to, we need to be aware of that. Uh, the other thing on temptation here is moral compromise makes us vulnerable to further compromise. Isn't that true in regards to temptation? You see, Samson, I, I always say with temptation, you know, when there's a fall, it, it, it's never a, a blowout. It's always a slow puncture. It's always something that happens gradual. It's always something that sneaks up. It's always something that, that lures, us in, lures us in. And the thing is, is when we, we, we sort of make those uh, compromises, we're, we're leaving ourselves open to further compromise. And really, that's the story of Samson, isn't it? And it's a story for us. For Samson, it was this idea that he was, he, he was given in on the smaller things, wasn't he? So when the big fall came, it inevitably happened. But in a sense, he was ignoring the things before. I find that in my own life. Uh, when, when you give in, uh, you, you're really opening yourself up. You really, really are. As you said, I think we need to be honest with each other about these things. Uh, I, one of my favorite nights is a Monday night now because there's a group of us men that really get together and we, we talk about our struggles with temptations. Now, I can't speak for a woman. I can only speak for a man. But in regards to man's temptations and the struggles, 
particularly in the sexual area. It's been wonderful just to be in a safe place where you can talk about your struggles, be honest about it, and pray for each other and encourage each other. I hope you're doing that. I really think in these areas we need to, we need to be honest. We really, really do. Now, the encouraging thing is if this would work, that would be even more encouraging, wouldn't it? Ah, now I get back. Okay. Yeah. Now, the the interesting uh, part there. Where where does it? Oh yeah, it it it, it talks about. Uh, where does it say that his hair was growing back? That's what, ah, look at that. I was I was. <laughs> I'm not used to these. Forgive me. But you know what? One of the most encouraging verses in the Bible is this one here in, in 22. You see the way it says there, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Folks, isn't there something tremendously encouraging here? When Samson went to the lowest place that he could have been, that you would have thought, that's it, he's done. Could he have sunk any lower? And then you read a verse like that. And what that's really saying to us is, God is never done with us. I don't care how far you've sunk or in, in, in your struggle today, whatever it is, if you feel you've drifted from God, that God is the God of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance, and on and on it goes. Because in his mercy, he's never done with us. And for Samson, he, yeah, he had a hit rock bottom. And sometimes that's like that for us too, isn't it? We're flirting around with temptation. We treat it like a lion cub. We think we're in control. All of a sudden, it overpowers us. And that's what sin does, doesn't it? It overpowers us. It takes us over. Our lives get out of control. We think we're in control, but we're not. And quite often... God leaves us in the mess until we, we come to the end of ourselves or we see, look, this is, this is going to kill me. Do you ever feel like that? I did. I do. But it's often at that very point that we, we see the hand of God. And God has an amazing way of doing that when we've sunk to our lowest. That here... Samson's hair begins to grow back. And folks, remember that today. Remember that. that that's the grace of God. He's never finished with us. When we read on here, we see that the rulers of the Philistines assembled. And of course, there was the great celebration, the great enemy. Samson has been subdued, he's weak. We're in control now, and of course, it's the Philistine God. That was the struggle in their cultures, wasn't it? Which God is which? So they were saying, well, our God is the champion, Dagon. He's the Philistine God. He is the one, and of course, he's delivered uh, um, Samson into our hands, and they were celebrating this, and, uh, and it was a big showpiece there where all the, the, the people of, of Gaza gathered. And uh, here they're celebrating this. And then, of course, at the end there, it says, bring Samson out to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. So here they're mocking, aren't they? They're, 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 they're gloating in the victory. 
and, uh, and, and here's Samson, his eyes gouged out in humiliation, and, and then the enemy gloating all around. But God is not done. It says, when they stood among the when uh, yeah they stood, stood him among the pillars. Samson said to the servant who held his hand, "Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them." Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about three thousand men and women watching Samson perform. So here, all the elite of the of a of the Philistines are there watching this. And then it says, Samson prayed to God. Wow. Boy, we haven't heard much of that, have we? Uh, For the last three or four verses. It said, Samson prayed to the Lord. Oh, sovereign Lord, remember me, O God. Please strengthen me just one more, once more. And let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he he killed many more when he died than when he lived. Then his brothers and father, his whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He led Israel 20 years. You see, not only when Samson hit the bottom that, that God came in and used him, but actually Samson called out to God. And I really believe this is why Samson is in Hebrews 11. Because when you read Hebrews 11, he's on the hall of fame of faith there when it talks about all the... Uh, and Samson's name is in Hebrews 11. Because if you read Hebrews 11 or Samson's life up to this point, you would have said, well, what is he in there for? I mean, the guy just doesn't seem to... And yet, through his repentance, he turns to faith in God. He, he, he's leaning on God now. And, and, and we see repentance and the three words that he uses there when he says, oh God, oh sovereign God, is actually three different names for God. The first one is Adonai, which means master. The second one is Yahweh, which is the covenant name of God, the God of relationship. And Elohim, the God of creation, the powerful God. And Samson here is calling on, on, on God and, and, and using these terms. You see, his heart is, is he's looking to God again. He's looking to God for his strength. Wow, what an encouragement to us, folks. The God of might, it's in many ways when we come to the end of ourselves and we cast ourselves on him that we experience his power. It's a wonderful thing. And we always need to remember that. Too many times we're trying to do it ourselves and we're falling on our face. But really it's about coming to the end of ourselves. It's that brokenness and humility that drives us to him. To God, the God who strengthens, the God who uses us. And Samson is a great model for that. And he's a great model for Jesus because, folks, whatever we think about in this account, we need to see the larger story. 
of God's incredible grace and mercy. And particularly when we think of this area of temptation. Now, we know all of the Old Testament points to Jesus in some way, but Samson, there's there's so many things in Samson that, that actually point us to Jesus. And we have to see that all those stories, those smaller stories, always relate to the larger story of God's incredible victory through Jesus, the gospel. And that's the ultimate victory. And and in some ways, we never really experience that until we know that great big story. And and Samson does point us, doesn't he? That narrative points us to the ultimate deliverer. And we see it in his birth, that that messianic uh, announcement, that incredible announcement that Samson, the, the angels came. Well, it was the same with Jesus, wasn't it? And there's lots of other comparisons. I'm just picking out a few. The betrayal is another obvious one. Jesus was betrayed. But do you know what the most fascinating one is? Is is a champion in death. Because when it says Samson killed more in his his death than he did in his life, well, well, that points to Jesus, doesn't it? Because ultimately it was true that that weakness on the cross, that that ultimately the, the great victory came over the ultimate enemy, it's not the Philistines, by the way. It's sin and it's death. Separation from God. You see, that's the real enemy, folks. And Jesus conquered that on the cross. Who can stop the Almighty? We sang earlier on. He's the victory. He is the one. And he's the one that accomplished through his death the weakness on the cross, the greatest victory that has ever been. And folks, in temptation, remember this. You look to Jesus, not yourself. He is. He is the one we look to. And when we recognize what he's done for us, wow, we're amazed. We're amazed at what he's done. We're amazed as as we look to him. And the biggest temptation we'll face is, is not believing that. However, about the other things you feel you struggle with in temptation, well, let me tell you, the biggest thing is, is moving away from that. The sin of unbelief, whatever it might be, but that's the ultimate temptation we face. And we're always called to come back and keep our eyes on him. And recognize in only in him is the victory. And whatever you're going through today, he we're told he's the merciful high priest, priest who, who we come to. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our struggles. He's there to intercede for us, to strengthen us, to help us, to give us grace in our time of need. Wherever you're at this evening, whatever struggle you're going, turn your eyes to him the ultimate saviour, the ultimate victory. Amen.